You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, you should check out the full finance journey at realvision.com slash rvpod to get the full view of what Real Vision is all about. A video on-demand platform you can watch anywhere. Our members get daily videos and analysis, plus access to more than 3,000 videos for beginners and experienced investors alike, and live events online. You'll join the most thoughtful community in finance. More than 300,000 people who trust Real Vision to be the anchor to truth in the financial world. To get started, visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code PODCAST10 to get 10% off our essential membership for your first year. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Friday, June 24th, 2022. I'm Maggie Lake, and here with me today is Jim Bianco, president and founder of Bianco Research. We apologize for being a couple minutes late. We had some technical issues, but Jim's well worth the wait. Hey, Jim. Yeah, that those technical issues are on me, so I apologize to everybody for being a few minutes late. Listen, w- anytime we get to the end of a long week, especially one one like this, uh, you know, it's bound to happen. But for a change, I feel like lately on Fridays, it's just been fraught and we've been so nervous and negative going into the weekend. We got a rally on our hands this Friday. The Dow up over 800 points and NASDAQ well up uh, over uh, up well over 3%. That was not easy for me to say. But you know what was really interesting is right at the end, I was watching and it jumped like a half a percent, the NASDAQ, in just the last few minutes of trade. So we had buying right into the close and it caps off a week of really nice looking gains. But I know what everyone's thinking. Like, is is this real? Is it going to last? Are we trying to put a little bit of a floor in? I don't know. What What is it? feel like to you? Should we be feeling a little better or should we beware? Well, I think the jury's still out to be, you know, charitable about it. Look, this is the second up week in the last 12. And this is the, you know, we were down 10 of the last 11 weeks and there's Dow Jones Industrial Average data back to 1900. And we had not been down 11 of 12 weeks in 122 years of data. So this market was massively oversold. Also, It's the 24th of the month. You've seen a very strong pattern of the market rallying right into the end of the month. And that corresponds, I'm going to give credit to Mike Green over Simplicity for pointing this out. There's $3.5 trillion of target fund uh, ETFs that need to get rebalanced at the end of the month. And that usually puts in buy pressure. And we see this pattern happen over and over. The last week of the month, we have a big rally. The last time the market was up was the last week, the last week in May. And then we all say, well, that's it. Maybe the recession's done. Maybe things are getting better. Maybe the Fed's going to back off. And then the exploding cigar blows up in our face in the first week of the new month. So I will recognize that we were due for a rally. We'll probably follow through next week. Let's see what happens after the 4th of July weekend, whether or not we can hold this. Because if this pattern repeats, the market will just roll right over again once all of that forced buying from target date funds is done. 
Yeah, it's so important to point that out, Jim. So, so important. The market dynamics matter when you have something like that going on. Um, and we do seem like we're sort of data dependent here. We did have the consumer sentiment uh, reading out today. And this is the interesting thing. Sometimes these things are just coincidental, right? So if you're thinking about the rebalancing and the and the force of all of that, you did have this number out. And so people make that connection. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but we had University of Michigan consumer sentiment out. I know a lot of people watch this closely because they do think it's a little bit more of a forward-looking indicator. And June saw a record low of 50, but also showed inflation expectations easing back just a little bit. It's one reading. We're obviously going to have to see what happens, but what do you make of that? Well, first of all, two things. I am not a fan of consumer confidence surveys. I don't think they tell us much of anything. Mm. Um, but now that I said that, the Federal Reserve is a huge fan of consumer confidence surveys. And Chairman Powell specifically cited the University of Michigan inflation sentiment reading as the reason that they moved from 50 to 75 basis points at last week's hike. So in the pantheon of economic statistics, the most important one right now is CPI. Next most important is Michigan consumer confidence. Third is probably payrolls and fourth is everything else. So this matters. And now that it came in, the final number came in down ticked from 3.3% for the five to 10 year look for inflation to a 3.1% down look. That really sparked the rally. Not only did it spark the rally, but if you look at the swings in Fed fund futures, the minute before that uh, survey came out, they were placing a 48% chance of a third consecutive 75 basis point hike at the September meeting. So we did 75 last week. <laughs> the market is fully expecting another 75 to come in July. They were at 30, 48% for a third one in September. Three minutes after the number came out, it was at 16%. Mm. That Only the payroll report and maybe CPI would move those odds that much in three minutes. And so, yeah, this thing matters a lot, this survey. I mean, I could argue to you blue in the face that the 600 people that they asked what their <laughs> outlook on inflation is, is really not that important. But Chairman Paul and the staff at the Fed have decided this is the holy grail. So we have to pay that much attention to it. And it came in better than expected. And the market responded in kind. Yeah. And, and you know, better than expected on the inflation expectation part, what do you, you know, where are you, what are you thinking in terms about recession? Because, okay, we, 600 people, you don't give a lot of credit to that, but we, we have seen consumer sentiment come in and it's not the only indicator we've seen suggesting things might be slowing, although it's still very mixed and we'll get into that a little bit later, but, but generally what do you see happening, uh, you know, on the economic side? So let, let me put this number in context. The University of Michigan survey started in 1952. So we have 70 years of data. The worst reading ever was the one that came out today, ever. Mm. Not the Kennedy assassination, 87 crash, the Vietnam War, the financial crisis, the 70s gas lines, not the COVID lockdowns. Now, now is the worst number in 70 years. That's quite stunning to think about that the public is telling you this is the worst they've ever felt about the economy in 70 years. You combine that with the downtick in the inflation number, and you got a lot of people hoping that the Fed isn't true to their word, that they're going to fight inflation, that they're going to back off, recognize that the economy is downshifting, maybe in recession. My personal feeling is the recession's already begun. Uh, I think the data is overwhelming that the recession's already begun. I think those 
that don't think the recession has begun, they're the ones that have to explain. I just could just throw out a litany of statistics that only happen in a recession. Uh, down 20% corrections only happen in recession. 70-year lows, all-time lows in consumer confidence only happen in recessions. The Atlanta Fed at zero after a negative number is targeting a recession and the like. So there's a hope that the Fed will downtick and say, we can't keep going like this because we're going to hurt the economy. And this is the crux of the question. When Chairman Powell tends to speak, he tends to come off is either not committed or somewhat dovish when it comes to the inflation fight. And markets tend to rally. That's what happened this week. Then you have to get people like Neil Kashkari, who's a noted dove, to come out and say, I'm fully on board for 75. Chris Waller, a governor, saying I'm fully on board with 75. Now, maybe this is part of the market just doesn't want to believe that the Fed is going to basically break everything in to, to try and break in, uh, inflation. And it really believes, or maybe this is just a legacy, that there are people in their 50s that have been in this market that have never seen anything like inflation taking dominance over growth. They still think if growth is slowing, the Fed has to respond to that by cutting rates. And when you say, no, well, we got 8.5% inflation, that's never worked that way in my career. Mm -hmm. And so they're having a hard time getting their head around this idea that growth or inflation is the priority and not growth. I completely understand that. I happen to think that the Fed is going to stay true to their hawkish intentions. They're going to go 75. They're going to probably go 75 again in September. They're going to break things until inflation breaks. And that that's because their credibility is on the line right now. They have taken as an institution an enormous hit because of transitory last year. That thing is going to be generation defining for the Federal Reserve, the transitory argument from last year, and they have to try and offset it. Now, other people have argued that's not the case. They'll break this economy into a bad recession, and they might not do anything about inflation, and they might be right on that. But I don't think the Fed's ready to back off the inflation fight. So I'm ready to, or continue to err towards the hawkish side instead of the dovish side, which is what the narrative was in the market in the last half of the week. Yeah. Excellent points, Jim. And um, Andreas, and, and there are others who agree with you. Andreas Zeno Larson spoke with Eric Johnson the other day, and he also is very worried about the potential of a policy error or a policy overshoot. Let's have a listen to a clip from that. So I think the you know lack of trust in the Fed right now is is very high and you know well well deserved. And I think that right now, my view is, is that they are going to potentially and I would say likely overshoot um, because, you know, one of the things that the Fed has shown is that they're doing very little. Their predictive power um, is, is not good. And so my concern is that you may not you're not necessarily going to see it show up in the actual inflation data, even though it's highly likely that inflation is going to turn down very shortly. And that may cause them or likely will cause them to overshoot. And that full interview is available to Essential Plus and Pro members on our website. And it's worth noting, as Jim, I think you pointed out that, you know, um, there are many that share that view, but then there are others who, I mean, there's a lot of criticism of the Fed. I wouldn't say they 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 think the Fed, you know, 
was sort of had a clean record through handling this, but they do think that the bond market is listening and is responding to the Fed and that they are having an impact. So there's a lot of different views. We we try to bring them all to you so you can so the viewers can sort of make your own decision about what you're hearing. Um, but there's a lot of there's a lot of sort of indecision or dissent out there. There's a lot of debate because we're in this sort of pivot pivot time. So Jim, um, I just want to uh, Adam. Uh, writing in saying, Jim, you nailed the inflation call. Are you ready to call the top and move into bonds? If so, what duration do you think has the most juice? So just on the first half, normally in a market, and this will get to my bond call, is that we all agree on what the reaction should be. The reaction function is the Fed-like call. If the data says X, then we do this. If the data says Y, then we do this. What's unusual about this is, first of all, if the data says X, we're not sure what we're supposed to do. Mm. We're supposed to say the inflation data is high, but the economy is going in the recession, so cut rates. Are we supposed to say the inflation data is high and the economy is going in the recession, so raise rates? Mm. So we're really stuck with now we're trying to figure out what the economy is doing. We also got to try and figure out what should be the appropriate reaction if we have something that looks like stagflation. Now to the bond call. Uh, I've argued that stop going up with inflation is not enough. Now, we're going to get in two weeks the June inflation data, second week of July. The Cleveland Fed has a now cast where they try, where they update it every day. And they've got that the inflation rate for June is going to be another 1%. And that's driven largely by gasoline prices going over $5 a gallon and, uh, nationally. Um, that's going to equal May. That should put, if the Cleveland Fed is right, that should put the year-over-year number at 8.7 from 8.6. Well, we'll see if it's right. But I think at a very minimum, we're going to get another big number in June. And even if it doesn't get us above 8.6, I don't think stop going up is enough. I think that we have to see serious signs that inflation is decelerating in a big place. Mm. So no, I don't think that the bond uh, sell-off is done. Let me put it to you a different way. If you believe what the Fed fund futures are telling us, we're going to have a 3% funds rate by September. We have a 3% 10-year note right now. We have 3% two-year note. Um, What the 10-year note and the two-year note would be telling you is the Fed's done raising rates in September. I don't think that's the case. I think when we get to September, there will still be a positive spread between the funds rate and the two-year note and the funds rate and the 10-year. So they're going to keep moving higher. If I'm if I'm going to revise my call, I want to see the yield curve severely invert. I want to see the 10-year come way below the two-year. Why? The two-year stays up because the Fed's not going to back off on their rate on their rate hikes. The 10-year sniffing out a real recession zooms down below the two-year note because it's free to do that because it's not as tied to the funds rate as the two-year note. The curve inverts. If we see that, I might change my opinion. But right now, I'm still maintaining a defensive opinion on the bond market. Yes, inflation might be peaking, but that's not the issue. The issue is once it's going to go to five. It's not going to be one does it go to 8.4 and it stops and 8.6 holds. When are we going to be at five? Then we could start talking about the Fed backing off. Because if it peaks and it goes to seven at the end of the year, six at the end of the year, they're going to go 75, 50, 75, 50 the rest of the year. And we're going to be at three and a half on the funds rate by December. So that's why I don't, I'm not ready to say that the inflation story is quite done and that the bond market's quite done 
just yet. But if the curve were to severely invert, then I might re reconsider that. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. I, I, I want to dig a little deeper into that. We have a fantastic question from um, Crypticion, I think. Crypticion. It's, it's a little confusing to look at from the exchange, but, but we see you. Sorry for mispronouncing it. Um, but it, it, he says hello or she. I'm very new to bonds, fixed income market, and macro. I come from a crypto background. From what I understand, bond yields drop when interest rates drop. Yet in the last 24 hours, the two-year yield has dropped below 2.9, despite the Fed planning signaling a series of rate hikes. Why is this yield drop happening? I, I just want to sort of really dig in there and clarify, and I'm so happy that you're in this conversation from the crypto background. Th these are all markets, right? We under we uh, we need to understand all of them. We shouldn't be sort of siloed, only talking about one or the other, because they're all going to be impacted, as we've seen in this month. So it's really important to do that. So, Jim, can you sort of, for those who are newer, you you hinted at the fact that it is really tricky right now, and it it is a little counterintuitive. But can you just walk through that again? Because it's really the sure. the play between inflation and recession fears, isn't it? Right. So let's remember that a, that the bond market is the you know intersection of buyers and sellers like stocks and like cryptos are. And it's subject to hope, freedom, hope, greed and fear like every other market. Um, when prices fall, interest rates rise and vice versa. If you go back to June 10th, that was the date that the C May CPI came in at 1%, way above consensus. And we got that hot University of Michigan preliminary reading for June. Today, we got the final reading for June. And you saw an epic sell-off in the bond market. You saw what happened to Bitcoin in the last two weeks in the bond market. The two-year note yield in five days went up 70 basis points. You got to go back to 1982 when the yield was at 12% to find another time it moved 70 basis points in four or five days. That was a massive, massive move one of the largest ever in the bond market. It had sold off, you know, since you're from a crypto background, it was the equivalent of Bitcoin being at 17,600 by last Thursday. So that market was deeply oversold to record proportions. And what you've seen is the rebound from that. Every move in a market is the function of the previous move. So if the previous move was the biggest rise in yields in 40 years, you're going to have the biggest fall in yields in 40 years. Mm -hmm. And that's almost what we did in the bond market. But does that mean that last Thursday was the high in yields? Look, this is about the sixth or seventh time this year that we saw high in yields, a big move down, and everybody said, this is the last, this is it, the high, in the, the high is in for the year. At some point, it will be. But as I mentioned with the previous question, I'm not there. So what happened with the bond market is, what happened with, with Bitcoin at 17,600? It just got sold off way too much. It got way oversold. And just like Bitcoin's up and Ethereum's up nearly 50% 50, 50 this week, or at least from Saturday night's lows, um, you saw something similar in the bond market for 
the same reason, essentially. It was massively, massively oversold going into late last week. Yeah, the, a, a, excellent. Um, and I hope that answers your question. It's a really good question. It's 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 been one of the toughest times in the bond market, right? So, Jim, if yields move higher, people are anticipating more tightening for the Fed, that inflation is still a problem. The thing that's going to pull it lower and why you're all waiting for this pivot is if growth, if recession is coming and then the Fed will back off, then you'll see yields go. It's the timing of that move that's really tricky right now. And I think why you see it as opinion swings around, um, crypticion, however we say your name, as opinion swings around, that's why we're seeing these moves because people are trying to time it. That's why we got that question from Adam. People are trying to time it because they sense the recession's coming, but they just don't know how long the Fed's going to be super aggressive. So that's why I think you're seeing that. So it's not, it's very uh, uh, easy to be confused. So glad you asked that question. Yeah, a, um, a, quick, comment, a quick comment on that. Um, about timing the moves. Um, right now, one of the lower volatility assets in the market might be Ethereum. It might be Bitcoin. The volatility that you're seeing, the real, and I'm talking about realized volatility, it's off the scales. The bond market's move index, Merrill Option Volatility Index, was invented by Harley Bassman, who I know has been on the on, on Real Vision before as well. And he works with Mike Green at Simplicity right now. That's like the VIX of the bond market. Last week, it had one of the four or five largest readings in its history. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe the the 08 uh, financial crisis in the in the peak panic of COVID was only the, the periods that was higher. The VIX index is interesting because the realized volatility is running about 10 points higher than the implied volatility, which is unprecedented. Given what we've got in the market, the VIX should be trading somewhere around 50 or 60 based on historical patterns, but it's trading at 30. Or now it's under 30 today. So that's completely unprecedented as well, too. But what I'm trying to say is if you're putting on a position and the market moves five or six percent in the stock market and you see five, six, seven handles in the bond market, that's just Tuesday. And you yeah. better be prepared for it because that's the market we're in right now. Mm. Everybody's trying to say, I got to get the next five percent move in the market. Don't worry. There'll be two of them this week. There'll be three of them next week and in, uh, in, in mostly in different directions as well, too. If you're not prepared for that, you think everything is a buying opportunity. And then you wake up and go, this is only the second up week in the last 12. Oh. And I've been trying to find a low in the market. And I've missed about a 16% decline in the market over those 12 weeks or so. And that's how bear markets are. They usually come with extraordinary volatility. And people get so mesmerized by the volatility that they can lose sight of the bigger picture. The bigger picture is down. The, the last time we had a 6% week like we did in the stock market this week was four weeks ago, the last up week. And then it turned right around and it puked it all up yep. right after that. Now, maybe it does that again now, or maybe it does something different. But right now, I think it's too early to say that what we saw last week was a major bottom. Yeah. And and I'm gl really glad you brought that up, Jim, because so many people have been conditioned to try to you know find the bottom, look for the bottom, get in, get in at the absolute low. Mike Teb wrote in, because of the volatility, I've opted out of all investments. When would you consider it a good time to get my feet wet again? First of all, no one can answer that question from but you, Mike. Only you know when you need the money, what your risk tolerance is. But the fact that you got out because of the volatility, I think Jim just let you, let you know right there that it's going to continue. So if you are not somebody who 
wants that can afford that, um, then don't be a hero, right? Like there's nothing wrong with waiting until we get some more clarity. And I think that's a really important point that Jim, Jim just brought up. want to try to get Absolutely. another one. And, and real quick, what yeah. professional investors do is when they recognize volatility, they just trade a third of the normal size that they would trade or a quarter of the normal size that they would trade. They, they, they leave a lot of their money in cash. Believe me, they are in the same position that you're in. And yes, if you are at all uncomfortable and don't understand what's going on in markets, don't play. There will always be another opportunity when you have a better feel for it, you have a better conviction for it, you can play that one. This isn't like there's going to be this one move that's coming in a couple of weeks, and if you blow it, you're done for good. There's plenty more moves coming after that when you're ready and you're comfortable for those moves. So don't try and force it. Absolutely. And cash is an asset class. It's okay to be in it. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Um, Jordan from the exchange uh, is saying, uh, put your Nostradamus hat on for me real quick. Another negative GDP print this week. EIA data showing an increase in gas inventories when they release the data. CPI that's still elevated. S&P still poised to adjust for recession down another 15% and adjust full PE moving forward. Is that a scenario that you sort of agree with, I think they're asking, or, or looks possible? Yeah, I definitely think it looks possible. Let me take that last part. Um, there's a real interesting confusion going on in Wall Street. Everybody says the economy's downshifting. Everybody says that the economy might be in recession or headed towards recession. Um, I think we're in one. But even take me aside, economists are putting the highest probabilities that we've ever seen prior to a recession on it right now. And yet the analysts are upping their earnings estimates. They're higher now than they were in January. So it, it basically calls into question. I hear a lot of people go, well, you know, the market looks cheap. Yeah, if you believe that earnings are going to rise into a recession, by the way, history says they usually fall 40% in a recession. So if they fall, then the market's not cheap at all. The earnings estimates, if they fall, they're not cheap. If, if somehow we're going to have a recession where every company makes money, which has never happened before, then yeah, the market's cheap. So yeah, there is there there is that confusion. But the rest of it, you're right about gas prices, about the CPI report. It really comes down to a very simple question. Let's be honest here. Um, Everybody's gotten the inflation call wrong uh, at one time or another. Um, And the reason is uh, Don Cohen used to be a Federal Reserve chair of governor. He left and gave a speech in 2017. And he said, you want to know the dirty little secret? No one understands what causes inflation. Yep. And he's 100% right. You could take any economist you want, the collective wisdom of the Fed, mm-hmm. anybody who's got an opinion on inflation, and whatever their opinion is, is made up. Mine is made up. All right, I, I've been hawkish on inflation and it's gone up. I don't think that that's actually a complete call until I actually pick a peak and say, now we're done, we'll go down. I might get that very well wrong as well, too. My point is, 
we don't know what's going to happen next with inflation. I happen to believe it's going to stay sticky high, and that's going to be a problem. But I also recognize that this is the single hardest thing to do. Mm. There is no theory, money, too much money chasing too few goods or expectations theory. All the theories about inflation, go ahead and back test them. They all have a correlation of zero is what they do. So this is going to be the real difficult thing. What is going to cause inflation to come down? Now, we do know that at the extreme, if you just bust the economy into a million little pieces, inflation will fall. But kind of don't want it to be that's the only way we can make it go down. But if we just have to wait, I believe, and see evidence that inflation is peaking. Right now, all we've got is hope that inflation is peaking. And if you want a quick aside from that, new home sales came out today and it was much better than expected. What's been the narrative on Wall Street? Housing is peaking. Housing is peaking. The housing market's in trouble. Look at what mortgage rates are doing. Mm -hmm. And those are all good arguments, except for one thing. All the data says housing's not peaking right now. There's just hope that housing, or there's an intellectual argument that, well, mortgage rates have gone up a lot, so therefore housing must be peaking, right? Right, Maggie? They must be peaking? Well, no, there's no signs that it's peaked yet. Now, maybe they'll come next week, but we don't want to try and be that sure about this data. That's the environment we're in, especially when it comes to the inflation data. It is such a difficult thing to predict. It, you, you speak the truth, Jim. And and there have been folks on former Fed who point to the fact that the Fed has written papers about this. I mean, the Fed itself says it's it's really difficult. There's not a great track record when it comes to inflation. Um, you know, there's some psychology in there. When do people pull back? You know, maybe there's pent up demand for housing. So there's still that last gasp. Um, And then, you know, you know, like if you talk to people on the front line of industries, of people who have to book orders, I just talked to Paul Hodges, who was long, long time in the chemical company. And he said, you know, during 2008, 2009, they thought they saw a recession coming and people didn't believe them. And everyone said, my orders are full. My order books are full. And then three months later, they were all canceled because you can do that. You know, things can turn like that. It's really, really hard to, to, to call that. So I think um, we answered Oliver your question about what earnings guidance is. Um, and that is going to be one of the really tricky things. Want to ask you really quickly, Jim, about one of the things I think is confusing people on this point is that you have the goods part of the, the economy and then you have the services part. And we see people pulling back. We know inflation's hurting, but then every airports are full. We just saw United 14% raise for pilots. They can barely keep up with demand. Cruise lines were the big winners today. Everyone's going crazy. Um, how do you how do you balance those two things? Is that just again that pent up, and then we could see a really quick change once people have gotten all those trips and all those plans out of the way? You know, the way I've answered it is conceptually. I've answered it, it, it on, on this uh, daily briefing in a couple different ways. Every pandemic produces a epic change in an economy and in culture, in civilization. Now, coronavirus wasn't maybe, you know, it wasn't the Black Plague. It's not going to produce that epic a change, but it is producing a giant change. And I've been arguing that there is a thing called the post-pandemic economy, and that that is an economy which I've argued here is largely driven by work from home, remote work, and a lot of other things. I think the problem is everybody says, okay, the economy's recovering. And you saw this with Target and Walmart. Okay, everybody's going to come back to the store. What did we order in 2019? Put that on the shelves. And then what did they find out? They got bloated inventory because they ordered the wrong stuff. Because coming out of the new post-pandemic economy, 
we order things differently. We do things differently. We view the world differently. Mm. I'm still struggling to figure out what it is, and I think a lot of other people are, but I'm going to tell you it's not 2019. We're not going back to 2019. So when it comes to when we have inflation and the lowest consumer confidence ever, yet the airport is full and we have to raise pilot pay because we can't keep up with the amount that people want to fly, please delete all of your economic knowledge prior to 2019 and start recognizing that we are in a different world post-2022. Quit trying to force it into 2019 or 2018 and try and understand what it is now. Now, I'm giving you half an answer because I don't know what it is now. I just know it's not what it was. And this is very, very different. And so we need to get that understanding. The problem is most people don't want to have that argument. They want to argue. You watch. When the recession comes, people will go back to the office. I've actually argued it's going to be the opposite. When the people put a monetary value on work from home, when the recession comes, I'm going to cut your pay and give you four days a week at home. And then you'll say, wow, I got a raise because I got an extra day or two at at home. And uh, I think that what we have to also understand is people spend money differently now. Mm -hmm. Our consumption basket has changed. Our attitudes have changed coming out of that lockdown. That lockdown was a seminal event in the economy. There is pre-COVID, there is post-COVID. And the problem we're taking is we're treating it like there was no COVID. Mm. Oh, we're back to normal. No, we're never going to be back to 2019. We're going to be different. Now, different's not dystopian. It's not worse. It's different. And therefore, I think Walmart and Target are finally getting it. We just can't keep stocking the shelves like it's 2019. People don't buy things in those proportions anymore. I think that we're starting to recognize that airline traffic, airline traffic is another interesting one too, because if you go with what American Express says, we're only at half to two thirds business travel what we were pre-COVID. Oh yeah. Because of work from because of work from home. No, there's no reason for me to yep. go to New York nearly as much as I had to. But personal travel, 120, 130% off the all-time highs. Everybody you see in the airport on a Tuesday afternoon is personal travel. <laughs> it is not businessmen anymore. Yeah. We need to understand. Things have really changed. And when we do, we'll we'll start to make a little bit more. We'll start to start the process of understanding it. Instead, we hear, wait till we reopen. We're already reopened. Well, when the recession comes, everybody will go back to the office. We'll see if that happens. So that's why I think it's been such a difficult period for people to understand. Yeah. And to navigate through and to make forecasts on. Um, so, uh, you know, super important to underscore a lot, lot of, lot of truth today, Jim. Um, I think it's important, especially when it comes to sort of this risky environment and the fact that maybe even though we're feeling good going into the weekend, if you're certainly long equities, that we need to be a little bit careful here and keep our mind open to this new normal that we're living in. Jim, thanks for extending a little bit for us so we can make up some of the time you missed in the beginning. We appreciate you. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Have a good weekend, everybody. Fantastic. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back Monday with Peter Bookvar. Have a great weekend. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.